welcome to another message presented by the ministry of Christian Faith Fellowship. We are fulfilling the call of God on this ministry to preach the Word of God without compromise, raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that we have to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. Praise the Lord. I tell you what, I'm, I'm excited about this morning, and I, and I want to say I'm glad you're here. Um, you know, Jesus said in Matthew 18, I believe it's verse 19, he said, whenever two or more of you gather in my name and the pastor is there, then I am in their midst. Did he not say that? Oh, Okay. Whenever two or more gather in my name, I am in their midst, whether the pastor is here or not. Now, we love pastor. We miss pastor. We know he's having a great time today. That's awesome. But I got to tell you something. <clears throat> Every time we come together, Jesus is here. If we gather in his name. Now, I assume you are, we're all here gathered in his name, right? Uh, my, my, my friend, Zon Ruther, who used to be my associate pastor, always said, you know, this is not a country club. If it is, it's not a very good one because we don't have a swimming pool. We don't have a golf course, right? <laughs> So we come together to worship, amen? And anytime we gather together, God wants to speak to us. And that's why I'm glad you're here today because God has a word for you. And I, and I want to start off by saying that I believe it was the 17th, three weeks ago. The pastor was out of town. He was doing a, a discipleship class and meetings for one of our sister churches, Journey of Faith, down in South Texas. And so Kathy shared in the morning and Brandy shared in the evening. And I have to say, that was one of the most blessed Sundays I've had in a long time because God spoke to me. I mean, to me. And one of the things you have to remember is you and I have got to remain teachable. That's why it's important we have a pastor in our lives, but you have to be submitted and you have to be teachable. I have been in ministry now for 38 years. That's a long time. I've sat under some of the best preachers in the world. I've learned a lot of stuff. I know a lot of stuff, but I have to remain teachable because I do not know it all. I will never ever know it all until that day I see him face to face and I will be like him. And at that point, I will have all knowledge and I'll have everything I ever know. You know, we always think about these questions we're going to ask when we get to heaven. No, you won't. Because when you get there, boom. Hey, now you will completely have the mind of Christ. Oh, that's why that happened. Can you imagine the understanding that hits you? Oh, that's why that happened. And that's why that happened. But I got to tell you, Kathy shared that morning about how God gave us his armor. His armor. Not just any old armor. His armor. You know why he gave us his armor? Because he knew it worked. We weren't experiments. Hey, try this out. Butch, run on out here and see if this will stop that bullet. He didn't do that. <laughs> I know this works. I know it does. Why? Because I use it. And then Brandy shared, and really was, I guess, her, her version, her presentation of a truth that Dr. Barclay shared about the captain's mantle. But as great as that was from Dr. Barclay, it was awesome from Brandy because it impacted her life, and now, through the lens of how her life was impacted, she's sharing how it impacted her life. 
And I have been going through some stuff, y'all. How many, let me just ask you this morning, how many of y'all been going through it? It's okay, just keep going. You're gonna go through it. Jesus made us a promise that we don't put on any t-shirts. You ever notice? In this world, you will have many trials and sorrows. Hey, I'm gonna, but, but that wasn't the end of it though, was it? He said, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. If you're gonna be an overcomer, you're gonna have to overcome. God gave you armor because there are battles to be fought. You've won the war. Jesus won the war. Amen. But just like if you've ever studied World War II, after the big surrender on the battleship and Japan signed and everybody signed these terms of surrender, there were still fighters holed up in islands that refused to lay down their arms. And so the soldiers had to go in and take those places and take those guys out. And guess what? There are still forces out there. Paul told us we, re we don't wrestle against people. It's principalities and powers and rulers of darkness that Jesus has already defeated. But they're still fighting against us. The game is over. We won. But we determine the final score. The devil's trying to take as many as he can. And our job is to get as many as we can. Amen. So if you're going through stuff, understand it's normal. That's why you have armor. I've said this a million times. That's why God did not give us dress blues. We got a Marine Corps ball coming up that Caitlin and Matt are all excited about. And boy, those Marines. Well, you know what's funny? You ever seen a Marine's outfit? It's like they're colorblind. It's like this like royal blue thing and this black thing and this red. Okay, sure. It looks good on you, I guess. But no, but, but they dress all out, man, with all the medals and all the stuff and everything's all shined up. God didn't give us that. We get those garments and robes when we get to heaven. But right now on this earth, he gave us armor. Because as we tread through this life in this earth suit, we're going to be battling. That's why he told us don't grow weary. Amen. So I want to encourage you this morning. And, and I want to thank you, Brandy. And I want to thank Kathy for hearing God. And, 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 and the Lord, thank you for having them share that because it really ministered to me. Because I was having some struggles. And struggles are just part of our Christian walk. And, and it's throughout the Bible. Battles are to be expected. That's why we have Ephesians 6. Why, again, why would God give us indestructible armor and an irresistible weapon if we didn't need it? So we got to be good about using it. And then remember what he goes on in Ephesians 6. is, And after you've done all, stand. Stand. And I realized that as, as God was ministering to me and as I began to pour into the scriptures that they shared in Ephesians 6 and 1 Samuel 22 and going back into Psalm 142, I really began to get encouraged because I realized something is that you may be in a, in a period right now, man, you're just harvesting everywhere you look, there's harvest pouring in. Or you may be going, I don't see any harvest at all. Because you need to understand that we don't all live in the same season at the same time. And so if you're in this planting season and you see someone over there who's just reaping, 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 you shouldn't be jealous or upset. You'd be going, ah, look what's waiting for me. Hallelujah. Because Lord, I know you're taking care of me by your very best in the season that I'm in. And we're all in these different seasons. And everybody who is reaping had to go through a season of planting. Because Genesis 8, 22, that is, it is the, the ultimate example of how a spiritual and a natural law work. Seed time and harvest. As long as heaven and earth endure, there's always going to be seed time 
then harvest. Seed time and. They're not simultaneous. It's not the same time. They're seed time, then harvest. Remember God said in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. There is a season, Ecclesiastes 3, there's a season that we plant and we wait and we harvest in that fullness of time. So we have got to get to the point where we are understanding of the seasons that we live in and know that God is still faithful and good in all of those seasons. Amen? And understanding that will save you a whole lot of stress. <laughs> it will also help you to help other people. Guys, that's why you're here today. That's why we're not supposed to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. I pastored my own church for 15 years. You know what? When I wasn't there, people didn't come. I wanted to knock them in the head. Oh, pastor's not going to be there? <laughs> Let's go to the lake. Uh, you're forgetting the most important person that's going to be there is Jesus. I, I got to the point, and you know, I looking back now, Miss Smart, I hate it because I had Gary at my church a million times when I wasn't there. I would, I look back now, now that he's in heaven, and just, you know, I'd love to sit there and listen. To, and there was at least eight times I had him at my church where I wasn't even there. But I knew if I had Gary McSpadden at my church, the people would show up. I had my associate pastor kind of run the service, and Gary did everything else. Steve Archer sang, sang worship, and, and Gary preached, and everybody was happy. Except me, because I was off doing something else, and I wasn't able to be there. And I missed out on it, but I had to do that, or people wouldn't come to church. And I'm like, what are you? You're not coming to church for me. Whether I'm your pastor or not, you're coming for Jesus. So, when you're in these times and these seasons, you have to recognize it and give thanks. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning you in Christ. We're supposed to be thankful. And yet, what did Jesus tell us about the last days, people? They're going to be unthankful. So it doesn't take much to look around and say, well, we're definitely in the last days. When he described the folks, and we don't need to be those folks, though. You see, you and I are here, back in the early, early days of the church, when they met in the afternoons, late evening, whatever, they didn't have electricity like we did, so everybody brought their torches. They hung them on the wall. And then they met. They had all this light and warmth and stuff. But when people didn't show up, their light wasn't on the wall. It was a little bit darker. And it's the same thing here. If you're not here, this place is a little bit darker because you're the light of the world. And that light, you know, it's, the light's there for Pastor and Kathy too. Because I'm telling you, empty seats are ugly seats. Doesn't matter how they're upholstered, it's like, ooh. Because as a pastor and you love people, and you know we have a limited amount of time to reach folks, and you look around and you go, that is a soul that could be being blessed today. Could be hearing the gospel possibly for the very first time, if only they were here. And I do everything I possibly can, but I'm one person. And I pray and pray and pray, but if I had some help praying and some help asking, amen? And so we're here for him, and, but we're also here for each other. I, t I tell my young people this all the time, you know, you guys, and especially the kids, little kids and our teenagers, when you see a polite teenager with a smile on their face and says, hello, and you're an older person and you're here, man, you're just, you know, sometimes, guys, we get to the point where we're just kind of tied a knot in the end of the ropes and, Lord, come quickly, Lord Jesus. You know, they did that a lot in the first century. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Things were tough. They were like, come on back, Lord. Come on back, Lord. Now, that's going to be better than your best day. But imagine your worst day. But you have somebody that comes up to you, and they're just so full of the Lord, and especially as a young person. 
or you see them worshiping God, and there's just, it just, it's like the Grinch. It just, your heart gets three sizes bigger, you know? It warms you up. Well, you just speaking a kind word to somebody could be the catalyst to their breakthrough. You greet them when they come in, and they're going through all manner of hell at home, and you don't know that, but you show them kindness, which they maybe hadn't seen or felt in a while, and they sit down here and go, man, this is some nice people. You get that warmth, and then pastor shares the word, and the Holy Spirit convicts them, and then now there's a change in their life, and you were the catalyst for that just because you were here, but had you not been here, right? See, we need to be here for one another, you know? Um, I, I was thinking about this thing with David. We're going to get into Psalm 57 eventually. There's a big setup here. Um, David, with what Brandy had shared, was in this cave. And he'd gone to this cave. And, and can I tell you that nobody chooses to live in a cave in the desert? How many of y'all enjoying that, uh, this heat we're having? Or even if you have a new air conditioner, it still struggles sometimes. We, we went to eat the other night for best birthday at our favorite place in Denton called Bagheri. It's a little hole-in-the-wall restaurant that this little sweetest old man... He's still Sid. He still cooks back there. He's the guy. And, but their little air conditioner was struggling. It, it, I went back there by the restaurant and it said 79. And I'm like, ah, food sure is good, but it's not as much fun to eat when you're sweating. But a lot of people's houses are doing it because we're struggling, right? Well, imagine no air. Out there in the desert, you got some shade, but you got no air. But it wasn't too long before David was in the cave that he was in the palace. And he was playing his harp. For Saul, he was serving the king. He'd been told he was going to be the king, and he's serving the king. Man, this is great. On the job training, I'm just here. King's son is my best friend. Life is good. Until the king became jealous of him. Because King Saul, one of the saddest stories in the Bible is Israel saying, God, give us a king like the other nations. He's like, but I'm your king. No, we want a king like everybody else. All right. They chose Saul, a head taller than everybody else, handsome, strong, popular, until this boy named David steps up and does something that even the great King Saul was scared to do. He faces down and kills the giant. And all of a sudden, overnight, he's Israel's biggest hero. Saul has slain his thousands. David has tens of thousands. And as you read that account through 1 Samuel 18, you see Saul become consumed with jealousy. Jealousy's ugly. Envy's ugly. You know, we, we have it in the body of Christ too. We get envious of people who we think have it better than us because we don't know the price they paid to be where they are. That's why we should focus on our own salvation, but that's another message for another time. But when you're reading 1 Samuel 18, you see the word, I love King James, Saul was very wroth. He was wroth. What does that mean? He was wrath personified. He was angry. He was mad. It says, he eyed David from that point forward. You ever had somebody that just didn't like you at work or school or something like that? They just looked at you with that eye. That is not a pleasant feeling. Why are you looking at me? At one point, he even hurled his javelin at him. David fled from him. As a matter of fact, as I read this account, I counted six times that Saul tried to kill David. Six different times. And for the next 13 chapters... David is running for his life. And finally, 1 Samuel chapter 20, he goes to Jonathan, his friend, and says, Dude, what have I done? Why is, what, what iniquity do I have? What, what sin have I committed that your father wants my life? And Jonathan couldn't answer him because he hadn't done anything. 
except just be faithful to God. You ever feel like that? You say, man, what did I do? You get this horrible reaction from somebody that treats you bad. And you're thinking, what did I do? You may not have done anything. Jesus said, know this, if the world hates you, it hated me first. You just live it too much like Jesus. I don't like that stuff. Because when you live your life like that, you're showing people where they're not living it. And nobody likes to feel that, right? Now, that should be a signal to repent. As Brandy said this morning, you're doing something wrong, just repent. Why is repent such an ugly word? Why has it become such an ugly word that we don't even use it in church? Well, I don't want people to feel uncomfortable. If you're going to hell, I want you to be uncomfortable. If you're driving towards a place where the road is at, I want you to be scared to death. I want you to stop and turn around. Because if I didn't care, well, I don't want to offend them. Wow, some friends you are. What, why? Repent just means change your direction. If you're going the wrong way, turn around and go the right way. Anybody ever gone the wrong way? I, I you know, I got lost the other day. <laughs> I was headed from, I forget where I was headed. I was headed from the office in Ponder. I did something. I was headed somewhere else. And I thought, okay. And so Waze took me to this new place. Well, then I have T-Mobile, but I only have a 4G phone. So it doesn't like me. And all of a sudden, it stopped working. And I was in one of these new neighborhoods. And I'm looking around going, I mean, and I, and I wasn't paying, I'd missed my turn. So I'm driving around these streets going, man, these all look the same. It's because they are the same. You're going in a circle. I was like, the children of Israel in the wilderness is going around and around. I'm like, how do you do this? And I kept trying to get it to come up, you know. And it would say, okay, go here. Oh, wait, no, there's a, there's a deal across there. That road isn't even finished. I'm glad you had this in your maps, but that road is not open. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I'm going to be stuck here. And I had no real phone service either. I tried to call and just, you know, hang up. I'm like, well, I may be living here, Lord. <laughs> I don't know where I am. But as soon as I got the map, because I opened Google Maps and it gave me a way out. I was like, thank you, Lord. I didn't deserve, how dare you, Google Maps? I was going this way. I want to continue to go this way. I didn't care about going that way anymore. I wanted to go the right way. But sometimes when somebody tells us something, we get all mad and offended. Dude, stop. Look what you're doing. Turn around and go the right way. The right way is the fun way. The right way is the good way. It's the best way. Now, there may be some hassles along that way, which is why we try to avoid them. But if the Lord says, come this way, then go that way. That's the best way. There's no good answer sometimes for why people treat you the way they do. Because there are still dictators in the world today who oppress the innocent. There's still tyrants who take advantage of the vulnerable. There's still Saul's that hunt David's today. And, and what does God do with them? What does God do with these people who, who hunt down his people? Well, he loves them. And he wants them to repent. He doesn't want the ending that they're creating for themselves. Now, over the years, we've seen there was a few pharaohs that drowned. And there was a few Herods that got eaten up with worms. But for the most part, that's not important what God does with them. What's important is what God does with you. You know, Saul tormented David for 15 years. 15 years after he had been anointed to be king and Saul tormented him and hunted him for 15 years. And I don't know how God will deal with that person, but I know how he'll deal with you and me. And he may not always, as my friend Scott Grapain's song says, he may not always calm the storm, but he will calm the storm in you. He will give you peace in the midst of the storm. You know, the Bible talks about a friend that sticks closer than a brother. 
God gave David Jonathan. Well, he's given you and I Jesus. And he's given the Holy Spirit. And he's given a, your pastor. And he's given your church family. So you're not alone. Amen. Amen. David, uh, I love David because I went on and I did this study. And I found David, there's 66 chapters in the Bible that are devoted to David. That's more than anyone but Jesus. He's mentioned 54 times in the New Testament. He established Jerusalem, the city of David. Jesus, the Messiah, was known as the son of. So David, you know, he, he went on to have a pretty good life. Amen. But at the writing of this scripture, he was hiding in a cave. Hiding out in a cave. Have you ever been there? Dark. Dirty. Damp. Still hot, though. <laughs> you get far enough in there, but you get far enough in there, you can't see anymore. And if you light up a torch or something, then they can see you from the outside. So what do you do, right? Some of David's greatest psalms were written in caves. I said Psalm 142 was written when he was in the cave in Agile and that Brandy shared about. Well, Psalm 57 that blessed me, which we're going to turn right now, Psalm 57, where he blessed me this week. He was in a cave, a different cave called En Gedi. So David was no stranger to caves. It wasn't a one-off for him. He ended up in there again. Why? Because he knew that was a good place to hide. And in that place to hide, he knew he could not hide from God. He knew God was there with him. And that's where he formulated his strategies. And God gave him the strategies and the plans. And some of you guys can, y'all can identify with David where he's at. Because you may be in a rough place right now. But these amazing Psalms. Psalm 57 verse 1. And I want just two things real quick this morning I want, to, I want to cover with you is I want to talk about because when Brandy was sharing she was talking about David and his mighty men David goes to this cave after pretending he was insane and hiding out with the Philistines and he goes to this cave and he's depressed and he's dark and then all these people he's all by himself but then all these people show up his family and people that know him they show up and they're all in debt and distressed and you know, it definitely wasn't your top your top guys and yet they turned into King David and his mighty men so what happened there? That's what I want to look at. Psalm 57 and verse 1. You're going to see it happen here in the middle of this first verse. He says, be merciful unto me, O God. Be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you. Yes. Now, now look at this. He starts off saying, be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. How many of y'all ever just said, Lord, help? Have mercy. You're beside yourself, Right? You don't know what else to do, but you just cry out to Jesus. And guess what? There's nothing better you could do. There's a song the Gaithers did years ago called There's Something About That Name. And Gloria Gaither has a thing that she narrates in the middle of it. Y'all remember the song, Jesus? Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. And she talks about whether your child has a fever, whether you're in trouble, you simply cry out, Jesus. And saying Jesus sometimes is enough. Because saying Jesus gives you that, that burst of, of strength and courage. And this is what happens. He goes, God, be merciful to me. And there's this, there's this realization that hits him as he's praying. For my soul trusts in you. Yes, in the shadow of your wings will I make my refuge until these calamities pass me by. He's just saying, Lord, help, Lord, help. Because I trust you. There, there's a realization that hits him. 
And David is singing in this cave. He's Psalms or Psalms. He's, and as a songwriter, I'll tell you that you start singing these songs you're writing. Anytime you write a song, and, and I'm just telling you for me, when I have a song I'm working on, there's a melody in my head as I'm writing these lyrics down. And David is doing the same thing. He's writing these lyrics. There's a song in his heart and it's coming out of his mouth. The key to surviving is getting yourself out of the desert and getting yourself into that cave where you're alone with God. And in the quiet and in the stillness where there's nobody else around, guess who's there? And the realization hits you and it's like, I trust you. And I'm going to hide myself in the shadow of your wings until these things pass me by. So I want to talk to you real quick about what David did, and then we'll focus on the, on the rest of the people, because what he did was key to what happened to his mighty men. And if you want to write something down, write this down. David exercised transformational faith. He exercised transformational faith. You say, what is transformational faith? It's genuine faith. He exercised faith, faith that was transformational. You know, we've been talking <clears throat> in Elevate with the youth, and if you wonder what we're doing there, we don't just eat pizza, although we do a lot, and we have a good time, but we, we talk about the Word, and we break it down. I'll take a lot of times what pastor shares, and we'll break it down into, into teen portions, and we'll talk about how that applies to us in our lives. And we've had a series we've been doing called Passing the Test. There's some school teachers in here. I'm actually, my two favorite school teachers of all time are in here this morning. I'm really... Mrs. Smart, who was my favorite, favorite, favorite teacher as a student, and then my wife, who's my favorite teacher now. Uh, and, um, and they had to put up with a lot. Mrs. Smart definitely had to put up with a lot having me for a student. But, uh, <laughs> but I can tell you that testing is important. Testing is what shows that you actually have a hold of the things you need to have a hold of. And if your faith, we're talking from 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves. Are you Christians? I love the new living deal. Do you pass the test? There's a test, yeah. Do you feel Christ's presence and power more and more in your life each day? Or are you just pretending to be Christians when actually you aren't at all? Are you identifying as a Christian? That's our big word, identifying. A lot of people do. They go to church. They have some sort of, Dr. Barclay, I was listening to his program yesterday. He was talking about we need to raise our kids with an with a conscious faith and relationship with Jesus, not some religious background. Because that just confuses things. They need to have a relationship with God. That's what we do in Elevate. But we're talking about, do you pass the test? How do you know? Do you feel his presence more and more? Are you being made like Jesus? Romans eight twenty nine. for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. You're supposed to be more like Jesus every day. Are you? Do you feel more of his power? Any relationship you have. When Jeff and Anuk met each other, all those many years ago, they had a relationship. But I would assume that relationship grew over time. <laughs> there was more communication. Then there was more intimacy. Then there was like, now they have this, you look at them and it's just like, oh, look at them. They're so cute. No, but really, but it starts with a conversation. It starts with some kind of agreement. It starts with, oh, hey, well, I like this. That's what it starts with. You get to know that person more and more. If we're not transforming in our faith, something's wrong with our faith. If you don't know Jesus better than you did yesterday, check yourself. If you sit here every week and you're still on the same spot on the board, get up. 
You're stuck. God did not give us his word simply for informational purposes. He gave us his word for transformational purposes so that we would be more like Jesus. Amen? I mean, Romans 12, 2 tells us not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. Where does that come? Your word, the word. So David checks himself, and look at this. He says, be, uh, verse 1, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you. And in the shadow of your wings, I'll make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. My soul trusts in you. Simply put, from the Hebrew, I trust you, Lord. I know you're going to bring me through. You're going to get me through this situation. That's all faith is. Faith is trusting God's going to get you through. He's going to speak to you. He's going to show you something. And then you're going to take steps to get yourself out of whatever situation you're in into the next one. And that's what gets you through your caves. You know, Hebrews 11, 1, that beautiful definition. It's a substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not, and I always like to say yet seen. You don't see it, not yet. But if you hope for it, you will. If you hope biblically. If your biblical hope is, is a hopeful expectation, not this, gosh, I sure hope it happens. I hope I win that lotto. <laughs> you know? I shared this earlier this year. I think I've shared it everywhere I've been this year where I've spoken because God just laid it on my heart. But, you know, um, Ephesians 5 tells us about marriage and being a type and shadow of our relationship with God, you know, and how that works. But I've always believed, and I came to see this even more, when Caitlin and Matthew were having little Olivia, and Caitlin goes, and they want to have a baby, and she uh, takes a test, and it shows a positive. So she goes to the doctor, and they do a test. Yep, you're pregnant. So they hear this report that I'm pregnant. Now, she didn't look pregnant. There was nothing that, you know, I, I can't see that I'm pregnant. There's nothing I can see that says I'm pregnant. But I, but I heard this report, and I believe it. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing. So I believe it. So now that I've, I've believed the report, I've heard the report, and I've believed it. Well, Jesus said in, Matthew, in Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe you receive it, and it'll be yours. So she believed it. And those are two very important parts, because without hearing and believing, you're not getting anywhere. But what's the next part? What do you call a woman who is pregnant with child? She's expecting. An expectant mother. So when you're now expecting, what did they do? What do you do? Well, let's see. You wrap everything in your house in bubble wrap. Uh, you know, you go and you have these showers and you buy these baby beds and baby clothes. What do you do? You prepare. I'm expecting, I heard it, I believe it, I'm expecting, therefore I am preparing to receive the delivery. And then in the fullness of time, what happens? That baby comes and is delivered. And you're ready for it. Because why? You believe the report, you receive the report, you are now expecting, so you prepared to receive, and now you're set. Your expectation without adequate preparation will limit what God can do in your life. You know, if, if, you're, if you're expecting is not followed up, and you say, well, why is that? Because the preparation is you acting on your faith. If you truly believe something, right, it has to get from your ears and your mind to your heart so it can make its way into your hands and your feet. That's why the Bible's talking about how we have to believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, Amen. 
It, it can't just be this mental ascent thing. What if, what if, you know, we went and saw the ark up there in Kentucky. If you have not seen that, I encourage you, go ahead and, and set, set aside, get you a little jar, start saving your coins, do whatever you got to do. You got to see that. Because you'll go, uh-uh. There's four guys and four ladies. And they built this. Whoa. You think that building is a big deal? I, I really think the best thing to do for, for the building fund to get people on vision is you go see that ark. And so you see what four men and four women accomplish with God's help. I'm just standing up there in the front of it and I'm looking at all these beams. They all had to be cut by hand. Well, no power saws done. <laughs> They're cutting them by hand. Who are these guys that are hefting these things anyway? Now, I do like the little uh, likenesses they have of Noah. These guys are built. They look like Superman. All of them just, you know, it's like, wow, you'd have to be. It's unbelievable. And look at the length of these beams and, and like, twisting the, pl how did you do that? Well, God. Amen. Well, how is the church this size going to build that church? Well, God. Right, See, if God says to do it, just do it. Doesn't matter how many. And the thing is, guys, God wanted there to be more than just eight. You realize? He wanted anybody that wanted. That's, that's the whole point of whosoever will. You can't make people come to church, but you can sure invite them. And you know what? If they never get on board, they're sure going to wish they had. That's why we keep trying. But what if Noah had just said, Noah, I'm going to flood the earth, build, a build an ark. Yeah, okay. <laughs> That'd be a good idea, Lord. If I had about, oh, I don't know, a thousand of them in, and I don't know, maybe you could bring those little power saws. Could, could you do that? Give us some electricity? And what, what if that's all? It never got past the, what if Moses just thought about, I sure would like to get my people out of bondage. That's a good idea. Lord, you want to, yeah, that's a good idea, isn't it, Lord? Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Oh, how am I going to do it? What if Saul of Tarsus, as he's walking down that road to Damascus to go get some more Christians turned over and killed and stuff and that light hits him <laughs> who are you lord it is jesus the one you persecute uh-oh now go and do that follow him follow me mm, i don't know i must have had too much pizza or something i don't know what happened there man those sleep meds are rough and he didn't do it or how about this what if god just thought it'd be a good idea to send his son and no action was ever put to those things well, then the world wouldn't have been saved. <laughs> we wouldn't have been saved. You know, the human race could have ended back then. God's people never would have been delivered. The Bible never would have, the New Testament never would have been written, really. Most of it. And we would, we'd be lost. You know, having a good idea, and a God idea is two different things, but even having a God idea, if you don't act on it, it doesn't do anything for you. God wants to bless you, okay? Brandy was sharing that this morning. The tithe is a big part of that. Because if you don't, then you're just opening the door for the devil to take away everything you got. Why open the door for him? Especially when you know better. Job didn't understand that his, his fear. You know, Job didn't understand. What if Job had had Romans 8 to read? That God, there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Nothing, no hide, nothing. He's with you all. What if Job didn't have that? He just had what he believed and what he thought. 
And yet God said, look at him. There's nobody like him on the earth. He's the most righteous guy on the planet. But he had fear. And fear opened up a hole in the hedge and the devil came in and wiped him out. But yet God kept him and sustained him. And at the end, he got back twice as much as he ever had. But what did he say? What was the key to that? He goes, I had heard of you and now my eyes see you. Through the pain, I see you now. I just heard of you, but now I know you. I never realized it until I was just thinking about this now that you ever notice that God had to take Paul's natural sight away, Saul, before he could see him? Saul of Tarsus could not see Jesus until Jesus took his sight away. What is it in us that keeps us from seeing the fullness of God? Job saw him. He said, I repent in ashes. Man, boy, was I wrong about you. I can't hide. You're so good. I had no idea. You know, God always wants to bless his people. And one of the, the greatest stories to me is the story of Elisha, 2 Kings chapter 4. Um, we won't take time to read those there. But in 2 Kings chapter 4, you remember the story of Elisha. And there was a, a, a widow there whose husband was one of the sons of the prophets. He passed away. And the creditors were coming to take her sons into slavery. You think credit agencies are bad now. They just call you a bunch now, right? But they, they come take your kids and everything else away. And so in, in, in uh, verse 1, uh, it says in 2 Kings chapter 4, it said, A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? When we have a need, we need to identify what we have. You know, Brandy mentioned something about, you know, the, the blessing being tied to the, to the uh, tithe. Folks, we have a covenant relationship with God. A covenant. It is, there are, there are promises that are delivered based on the completion of a condition. We got to do our part, always. He's already done all the hard part. We just have to respond. What do you have? What do you have in your wallet? What do you have in your house? She goes, I don't have any. I got nothing. I've got a, a container, a jar of oil. Now, olive oil in those days was actually a form of currency. Matter of fact, I, I read that when Solomon was building the temple, when he bought the great cedars of Lebanon for the temple, he bought them with olive oil. Because they used it for everything. They cooked with it. You know, they fried with it. They mixed it with, with flour to make their cakes. Uh, they used it for lighting. They used it for cosmetics. They used it for medicine because it healed cuts and bruises. Uh, but they also used it to take care of leather and to anoint prophets and kings. Your pastor has a little jar of anointing oil down there. And uh, there's another little cool little jar that Miss Kathy has down there. But that word, that Hebrew word always uh, stuck out to me because it's only used once in the Bible. It's asuk, not anuk. It's asuk. And it means a flask. So the oil she had wasn't even like the big pot you cook with. They'd probably already taken that. They'd taken the furniture. They'd taken everything else in the shell of that house. But she said, well, I don't have any. I just have this flask of oil. He goes, okay, so do this. Now, I love this. Go borrow vessels from everywhere. Verse 3, all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few, and when you've come in, you shall shut the door behind you and, and you and your sons, and then pour it all into those vessels and set aside the full ones. And you know the rest of the story. 
she took that little flask and she poured. And she poured. Now, we don't know how many vessels. You're borrowing vessels. You're getting whatever they got. You know, what do you got? And you come in with a little, one of those little glasses that comes with your NyQuil or something. No, no, no. I need something bigger. So you grab a pot. You grab one of those trash cans. Whatever. They borrowed from everybody they could until there were no more. They fill up and she starts pouring it in there. And to me, and those cool, they were, they were this earthen kind of a jar thing that they had. So you really couldn't see what was in there, which I think is even cooler. And you pour it. <laughs> this doesn't go into this unless God's involved. And then it does. And so one's filled. Then another one. Then another one. And, and you know, she's got to be going, oh man. And it just keeps going. And finally she goes, bring me another one. They said, oh, that's all we got. And it stopped right there. And the miracle stopped. And then the prophet says, okay, go take all this, sell off and pay your debt, and then live off the rest. So they had a lot of containers. But they could have had a lot more. They prepared. But had they prepared better and more, there was no limit to that oil stopping because there's no limit to God. And anytime you're facing a shortage in your life, it's not him it's you. It's me. We're the ones that limit the Holy One of Israel. And I'm not criticizing how many they got. They did the best they could. But, you know, oil is representative of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. And God says he wants to fill us to overflowing. And he will. But how empty is your vessel? You know, if you get a sink that's clogged, you put some water in there, it doesn't, and it fills up, Right? You know, when, when, when that sink isn't clogged, that water just keeps running. How about your vessel? How empty are you before the Lord? Are you like the, the lady with the alabaster box, broken and spilled out, and then God can refill you with all of himself? Or are you full of yourself and full of the world and full of life's troubles and stuff? And so you've got this much. He wants to pour in on your head and you only get to here. You know, Dot Barclay um, has his five Ps, right? And what are they? Proper planning prevents poor performance. Well, I came up with Matt's own five piece for this. Poor preparation prevents plentiful provision. If you are not yielded and empty before the Lord, he can't fill you up like he wants to. He'll fill you with whatever you've got room for, but he wants more than that. For you, not for him. There's never, he never stops. There's never a, hey, I'm running kind of low here. You guys are taking up a lot of this anointing. No, he's got all you ever want and then some. But it's a hopeful expectation that is followed by a diligent provision. Making sure that leads to an abundant provision. It's that, it's that diligent preparation that leads to abundant provision. If you don't, so you hear it. You believe it, you're expecting, preparing, which proves you believe. That's what, you know, James 2.17 says that faith without corresponding action is dead. Well, that, that preparation is your corresponding action. And now you're, believe, now you're believing it, you have it, because you've already received it in the Spirit. So then God brings it to pass in the flesh. And it's not about the man from the station. You know, we really, we joke about that, but we really, you can't afford to misunderstand that either. There are seasons for everything. You know, just like on a, on a headstone, there's a, a date and a date and a line between the two. And the line between the two is everything. 
There's seed time and there's harvest. Seed time is when you are, you're getting to know and you're experiencing God's will and you're walking in God's will. And now you're planting good seed that in, in, it, in the course of time will bring forth the harvest. Because seed time and harvest aren't right here. You know, man, once, once, in a, once in a while it is. You spun that wheel around there and boom, hey, it's harvest time. Jubilee. You know, everybody, everybody gets harvest. But there's planting and there's waiting. Waiting's not bad, y'all. The Bible says to wait upon the Lord, you renew your strength. That's when you'll mount up with wings as eagles. We sing that song all the time. So, in other words, when everything seems to be sending you the opposite signals of what you want, that's where your faith comes in. I read a, a, a paraphrase, and I wish I could remember. I always like to give credit to these great ideas. I give most of them to Gary McSpadden because I heard most of them from him. But <clears throat> my pastor told me, years ago, that faith is, I want you to imagine, okay, it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So you have something here that's yours that you can't see. It's just out there. You can't see it. Faith is your handle that you put out and it attaches itself to that promise and now you can pull it in and retrieve it. That's what your faith does. It reaches into the unknown and it latches on to that promise and you take that handle and you pull it back into yourself. And I thought to me that was such a great picture of it. Because that's, that's the, you know, the Hebrews said that it's the title deed. Faith is the title deed. I can't always keep my house in our pocket or my car in my pocket. But if I got the title deed, I can show you it's mine. So that, that faith is that handle. And we got to learn to live by faith because the just live by faith. We have to live by faith. Without faith, we can't please God. And if you haven't learned the lesson that we have to live by faith, you're never going to get too far. Especially if you're in a cave. Because you can't see in a cave. You can't trust your natural sight because you have none. And can I tell you that natural sight's not very trustworthy anyway? So when you come to God, you got to have faith. And you got to believe that he is actively involved, actively involved in your life, actively looking to bless and transform you. That's what it means to live by faith. We believe in a living God, a God who cares for us, is alive, and wants to move in us. So transformational faith, like David, it transforms you. It also transforms your cave into a tabernacle, a place of praise. You know, Paul and Silas transformed a prison into a tabernacle. And what happened? The walls shook and the chains fell off. Amen. So the, the lesson is you just keep on praising until the shackles fall off. Amen. Well, I'm still chained up. We'll keep on praising. Folks, that's why we miss an opportunity when we come together and praise and worship. I've said it before, but I don't know that song. Doesn't matter. Close your eyes and worship God. I don't like that song. Doesn't matter. Close your eyes and sing your own song. Sing to him. It doesn't matter. Just praise God because there's something that we have to understand there's two or more coming together. God is in our midst and there is corporate worship and there is a corporate anointing where one puts a thousand to flight, but two puts 10,000 to flight. And in a room this size, imagine what we can do to the forces of darkness if we would just get together. Because God inhabits the praises of his people. And where God is, the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. That's why you bring in the spirit of the Lord, you can't be chained up anymore. Because freedom came into the place. So it will transform you, it will transform your your cave to a tabernacle, and finally, more importantly, it'll transform the people around you. You know, the people that came to David, they were distressed, 
discontent and in debt. Anybody ever been those? <laughs> All three at once, right? And yet they became David's mighty men of valor with exploits that filled the Bible. Incredible stuff. How'd they do it? How could I do that? Really easy. You do these three things. Number one, come as you are. John chapter 7. Folks, God's not looking for perfect people. There was one. <laughs> and he's our example. And daily, we should be striving to be like him. But as long as you walk in this earthen vessel, you're still going to stumble occasionally. Otherwise, he wouldn't have needed to give us 1 John 1, 9. Amen? How many of y'all are thankful for 1 John 1, 9? Boy, I know I am. Especially when I read in Hebrews that if we sin after we've known the truth, there remains no further sacrifice for our sin. I'm sure glad 1 John 1, 9 is in there. Because I don't know about you, but I've actually sinned since I became a Christian. I'll confess right now. National, international, I'm sorry, y'all. I did. God's not looking for perfect. The men that came to David were far from Perfect. As a matter of fact, I'm sure David must have been somewhat discouraged when he saw that somebody showed up. Oh, y'all showed up. Yep, we had no place else to go. Great. You're our leader. <laughs> Good. At this point, David's just like, oh, God, you anointed me as king. I've always done everything you asked me to do. I'm pretending to be insane so the Philistines don't kill me. I'm hiding out with them. And now I'm hiding in a cave. And look who shows up. It's that cousin you all have, that cousin in your family. But it's a whole fleet of them. What was that? Oh, what was that guy? Cousin, I forget his name. But you know what I'm talking about. We all got one too. Everybody's got one. I got the one that he was actually my uncle. He was my mom's. But that, that uh, killed and decided to uh, barbecue the armadillo in the state park. Yeah, he, he was one of the ones that, you know, and he, we didn't have anything to grill. And so we were talking about going to town. He said, oh, I got something out here. Okay, Al, what you got? You smell, it don't even smell good. And it don't taste like chicken. It don't smell like chicken. And it's an armadillo. Which, number one, you killed it in a state park, which isn't a good idea. Number two, you're cooking it. Uh, I'm not sure how you cleaned it. But I had a whole bunch of those guys show up in this cave while I'm hiding out. And that's, that's, my, that's my wingman. That's my backup. They were in distress. You ever been in distress? You ever been desperate? We sing that song, Breathe. Lord, I'm desperate for you. We are all desperate for him, whether you realize it or not. The worst place to be is not realizing how desperate you are. John chapter 7, verse 37. Jesus said, in the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. He that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Let, if anyone is thirsty, desperate, you're in a, you're in a desert, you're thirsty, come to Jesus. Yes. Well, but he won't take me. He already knows. Well, I got to get myself a seat. It doesn't matter. All of your righteousness is filthy rags. Just lay it at his feet. Lay those cares down. Come and drink. I think sometimes we have this idea that if God's going to use us, we have to be perfect and powerful. No. You just have to be needy and hungry for him and empty and willing to be used. That's when God gets a hold of your life. And that's when he fills it with his spirit. Secondly, they were in debt. 
They owed a debt they could not repay. Boy, there's a great old song we used to sing. He paid a debt he did not owe. Anybody remember that song? I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. My Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. All of us owed that debt. And he paid it for all of us. The wages of sin is death. But God doesn't want us to die for our sin because Jesus already did. But you know, I'm going to tell you something here. And the Holy Spirit just prompted me with this. The concept of forgiveness in the Bible is completely tied to debt. That's why the Lord's Prayer says, and forgive us our debtors as we forgive those who debt against us, right? And, and, and sin against us. And debt, sin, and, sin is a debt because the wages of sin, right? And so some of us, somebody here this morning, or maybe somebody watching, I don't know, but somebody, I know the Holy Spirit prompted me, you're struggling because you've got unforgiveness in your heart. You have not forgiven someone that you're supposed to have forgiven. And you say, well, I don't, man, if you knew what they did, it doesn't matter what they did. It does not matter what they did. Nothing, and, and, and please understand this. I haven't had some horrible things done to me in my life. As a kid, there were some terrible, terrible, terrible things done to me. None of it compares to what I did to him. We have a top 10 list of sins. God doesn't. Every single one of our sins is what nailed Jesus to the cross. All of us are guilty of that. And yet he forgave me. And if we don't forgive our brother, our heavenly father, according to Jesus, won't forgive us. And when we walk in unforgiveness, we're not walking in blessing. And, and there's, there's somebody, I think somebody here today maybe, or, and I know somebody watched, that that's where you are. You're trapped in this place because you can't let go of the past. And all that's done is, is chain you to that person. You are, you are still bound up with that person who abused you. And I know there's somebody, I, I, there's somebody watching that the person is not even on this earth anymore. But what they did is still fresh in your mind. And as a result, you're walking beneath the privilege God has for you. And you're walking still chained up. And God wants us to be free. We have to forgive. We need God's forgiveness. And it only came when the price was paid. Jesus paid the price. Amen. And then there were those who were discontent. You know, God... God is looking for people who want to do something. The Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. Discontentment just leads to bitterness and anger. Some, some of y'all are unhappy in your marriage. You're unhappy in your job. You're unhappy in your life. You're, therefore, you're unhappy in your church. You're just unhappy. That's definitely not God's best. He wants you to cast your cares on him. And receive. And some of that's tied to unforgiveness too. We, we need to let people go that hurt us. Just let it go. So you come as you are and you come to the son of David. You know, those guys came to David. We come to the son of David. You know, J, uh, David established the city of Jerusalem. We talked about the city of David. Jesus known as the son of David. Amen. And if you think about it, Jesus and his disciples were a lot like David and his mighty men. When they came to Jesus, folks, <laughs> they were not. <laughs> Matter of fact, look at Acts chapter 4. This is one of my favorite scriptures. Uh, I'm going to read one to you. If, uh, go ahead and get to Acts chapter 4 because we can read that together. 
I'm going to get with, uh, let's see, 1 Corinthians, I'm going to read to you guys from the New Living because I love this translation. But Acts chapter 4, verse 13 is where we're going to go to in a second. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 29. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God deliberately chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they're wise. And he chose those who are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important, so that no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Now, down here in Acts chapter (laughs) 4, this is after, you know, the Holy Spirit has come, Peter has preached, and 5,000 have responded, and they go, and then 3,000 respond, and God's doing miracles everywhere. And they're grabbing them to say, y'all stop preaching the name of Jesus. And they say, well, we can't do that. Acts chapter 4 verse 13 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Now, one of my favorite parts of having to go to Bible college, and I had to because when I... Long story short, I took a took church, and um, in order to be licensed and ordained with them, I had to have two years of Bible uh, from their deal, <clears throat> from their school. And so I did it in like six months, uh, which was cool. But ancient languages, Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, part of the study. A lot of great things. I mean, I learned homiletics. I learned, I learned hermeneutics. I learned how to study the Bible, how you take it in context with the rest of the Bible. I learned a lot of great things. But my favorite thing was the ancient languages. When you read something out of, and you can read it out of a Greek interlinear, you know, uh, interlinear, interlinear dictionary, whatever, it's, it's awesome. But when you can go back and read it yourself, it's kind of fun. So, <laughs> these are my translations here. It said they were unlearned and ignorant men. Okay, the word unlearned is agramatos. Agramatos, which means illiterate. It means ignorant, but it also means illiterate. I'm going to help you with this one. I bet you guys, here's your little, here's your little Greek lesson. The Greek word for ignorant, idiotes. Can anybody tell me what that would translate to in English? Idiots. Illiterate idiots. These guys are illiterate idiots. But listen to how they talk. They've been with Jesus. They marveled at them because they were illiterate These were all these well-studied, they knew everything. I mean, learned it all from the time of their youth. And there's these bunch of fishermen, illiterate idiots, who are speaking with such profoundness and power because they've been with Jesus. And then you take a guy that did know things and get him with Jesus, the Apostle Paul, and look what you get. The point is, it doesn't matter where you started, it's who you've been with. Because Paul knew all kinds of stuff. What was he doing? He was persecuting Christians and having them killed. And then he met Jesus and everything changed. These guys were just out fishing and doing whatever and being tax collectors. And they were around Jesus and they became these profound men of God. How could they be idiots? Why, why would, I don't understand. How could an idiot do everything these guys did? Because they had been with Jesus and they had his name he said you know Matthew 11 he says come to me all you who are labor that labor and are heavy laden I'll give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn of me 
For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. For my yoke is easy and burden is light. Come as you are to Jesus. Come as you are, come to Jesus, and then third, come to fight. Come ready to fight. Because you are going to have to fight. We're in a battle. Greatest part of what Sister Kathy shared that morning was about God giving us his armor. Brandy shared that, that great truth from Sunday night about how there's a captain's mantle waiting for us. There's a transformational time. In Ephesians 6, and y'all know this, and we've talked about it forever, he says, finally, my brothers, be strong in the Lord, the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God, not just a little bit of it, put it all on, that you can be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities, powers, the rulers of darkness in this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. I tell you what, you can tell we're in the last of the last days. You turn on the news today and you see the stuff that's going on in Washington and around the world and it's like, whoa, spiritual wickedness everywhere. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But you and I are here because God wants us here for these last days. I just want to, I just want to encourage you this morning. You know, sometimes... We can be told, depending on who you're watching on TV, that once you come to Jesus, there's no more battles. If we're supposed to make his enemies his footstool, how are we going to do that? We're going to fight. We're going to root them out. We're going to go door to door, kicking them in. We're going to wield that sword of the Spirit, which is an unstoppable weapon. We're going to have a shield of faith because he's got some pretty powerful weapons of his own, but they don't do anything against the shield of faith. They get extinguished. But our back is open. It's vulnerable. That's why we got to be shoulder to shoulder and back to back. And they're doing it together. That's why you can't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. That's why we got to stay in touch with each other during the week. That's why we got to communicate. That's why we got to pray for one another. Amen? Does that mean that if we come to Jesus, there'll never be another conflict in our life? No. But I want you to remember this as we close. With this armor, he has given us the ability. He said, in verse 14, he says, have your loins girded about with truth and the breastplate of rights. You know, everything hangs on the truth. And the truth is what? It's God's word. God's word is truth. Everything about your life needs to be hinged on that. Stop trying to live by the world's standards. We got to live by faith. We can't walk by sight and give a wink and nod to faith and expect things are going to work out for us. And the more you sit here in this church and hear about it, the more responsible you are for what you heard. And our hearts are protected by Jesus' righteousness. The devil wants to put you on a guilt trip, what you did in the past. I love what Carmen said. Devil reminds you about your past, remind him about his future. <laughs> Nobody failed God worse than he did. And he wasn't smart enough to change, to ever, you know, he's, he's gone. You and I, man, we've been saved. We've been born again in the family of God. Have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Stand your ground in battle. And then take those cleats he's on the bottom of those boots, man, and take some ground for the Lord. Take the shield of faith where you can quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. I can tell you, if you get fired up by this message, the devil will try to discourage you as soon as you leave today. Somebody will say something in the car and I'll say, ah, you know. Man, take that shield of faith and put that fire out. And take that helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Our lives are protected by Jesus. Our greatest weapon is the Word of God. 
But guys, the battle is lost if we don't know how to use it. Finally, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. That's how we stay in touch with our general. We talk to him and we pray. We pray you were blessed by the message we were able to share with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to find out more about our ministry, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.